Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to a very special episode. Today, I'm sharing with you a conversation I had with Venerable Dr. Zhu Wei on the Buddhist view of the mind. Now, for those who are new to Buddhism, I ask that you please keep an open mind and an open heart, as this may be a lot to take in. And as I always say, take what you need and leave what doesn't resonate with you. My intention is only to grow and expand your mind with new perspectives and understandings, rather than to persuade you to think a certain way. So, who is Venerable Dr. Zhu Wei? So, she's a woman of many titles, so let me break it down for you. She's a Buddhist nun, but she's also an academic. So, Venerable Dr. Zhu Wei holds a PhD in Religious Studies, a Master of Arts in Buddhist Studies, a Master of Business Administration, and a Master of Science in Computer Science and Engineering. She currently works at the Nantian Institute, abbreviated as NTI, NTI is a higher education institute located across from the Nantian Temple, which is the Buddhist temple here in New South Wales, Australia. At NTI, she is the head of program for Buddhist studies and the director of the Humanistic Buddhism Centre. And of course, she is not just her titles. She's a woman with endless compassion, a zest for life, and a hugely infectious smile for anyone who knows her knows this. She also happens to be a dear friend of mine for over four years now. I was fortunate enough to have her as my boss in my first professional job in my final year of uni. I was her administrative assistant and we worked in partnership on so many different projects for about a year together. Venerable Jiwe was the one who more formally introduced me to the Buddhist philosophy and opened my mind in so many different ways. In fact, the entire concept of the mind being a palace, you know, as opposed to a cage or a prison of our own making, is actually a concept heavily rooted in Buddhist philosophy. So I thought it was very fitting to have her as my first guest on the Mind Palace podcast. So deep belly breath, um, please relax and enjoy. And I apologize for the audio. There wasn't really much I could do there. There might be a bit of a hum in the background. Um, just I think it helps just to turn down the volume wherever you're listening to this just a little bit and you shouldn't be able to hear it. Um, but let me know how you like it. And I think there's a pop-up after you listen to this episode. If there's anything specific that you liked in it or that you want to hear more about, let me know. Okay, we'll jump straight into it. <laughs> this is so new to me. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome, Venerable Dr. Wei, to the podcast. Hi, Jasmine. Thank you so much for the privilege of being on your podcast. And I only got to find out now that I'm your first guest and your first conversation partner. It is a true privilege, Jasmine, and I look forward to our conversation together. Yay, thank you. Okay, so let's jump straight into it. Now, I wanted to chat about your journey, just so our audience can understand a bit more about you and what brings you here today. And I always found this story fascinating, Joe Wei, because you weren't always a Buddhist nun. You actually worked as a project manager in artificial intelligence in Singapore. So would you be able to shed some light on what sparked the change in your life's direction? Of course, Jasmine, but this will reveal my age. (laughs) So over 40 years ago now, um, I started my first job in artificial intelligence and I developed internationally recognized expert systems 
at that time in the um, 1980s, after which I decided to move into business process re-engineering and looking at the bigger picture. And as I do so, I started to recognize that many people come into my office to complain about usually people-related issues rather than looking at what's wrong with the program. And that's when I started my journey seeking out an MBA, learning about two-by-two matrices, um, learning about personality tests, and that brought me further into different traditions, including tarot cards, to, to see really what's happening in between people and all these different difficult relationships. And that was what brought me to Buddhism. And it just, I guess, it was a one-way ticket, <laughs> discovering more and more of the um, power of what we called, or what you call Buddhist philosophy and what I call the Dharma, the truth. And that journey brought me around the world, first to Taiwan to study in the Buddhist college and complete another master's degree in future studies. And then off to America for 10 years to work as well as to... Um, do a degree, my PhD, in religious studies, and finally here in Australia. And I've been here just over 10 years. Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. So it actually started with you wanting to understand people better. It did. And I guess artificial intelligence now leads me to natural wisdom. Wow. Tell us more about that. I've learned that a lot of the problems between people come from attachments, attachments to our views, attachment to my ideas. You know, I work in an applied R&D lab. Our ideas are everything. We write papers and we argue our way through in order to prove that my idea is better than yours and it's worth publishing and it's worth all the grants in the world. So I started um, learning that that mode of operation will only come with, I guess, greater and greater attachments. Although in the workplace we are still very cordial and we know that we are friends in spite of the differences in opinion when it comes to the way we should program an algorithm. However, it builds up in us a lot of attachments and aversion to things that don't match our ideas. Mm. As a result of which, when I went to deeper into Buddhism, I realized that the root cause of all these is a false sense of self and who we are in the world, thinking that we are independent of the world. My entire educational upbringing, I must say, is very Western. Mm. In Singapore, we are a British colony, Oh, we were a British colony. Mm -hmm. So I found that a lot of what I've learned is to teach us to be in a meritocratic society, to be competitive, to be productive, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to be what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. And it's all about I, me and mine. However, when I went into the Buddhist wisdom and back to the 
community, I suddenly realize and have that form of recognition of the need for interdependence. I am not alone in this world. And if I keep rooting myself in this false view, my mind is going to go bonkers, mm. thinking that I'm all alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm fighting all this by myself. Mm -hmm. And it's all about building my riches. And I guess that was what prompted me to spend and dedicate my life into this pursuit. Wow. Okay, you just gave a wonderful overview onto a, a lot of different principles and values and perspectives of Buddhism. Now, just for our audience sake, let's jump into some of the smaller kind of the basic principles. So let's start off with the mind. What, what are the qualities of the mind? What makes it different to just the brain? All right. Let me just go back to the basics and unpack it a little bit. You'll have to bear with me. Mm -hmm. So, I'll come back to the concept of the self. In Buddhism, we say the self, oftentimes we say it's made up of the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. So the body we know, this physical body that we see, so the jasmine that I'm looking at in front of me, that's the body. But just the body of jasmine is not jasmine. Jasmine still has more than this beautiful body ahead of me and this healthy body in front of me. Much more. What else? She has feelings, mm -hmm. doesn't she? So Jasmine has feelings. That's part of your mind. Jasmine also has what we call perception and thoughts, right? Jasmine is also made up of her thoughts and how she perceives the world and how they translate in her thoughts. There's perception. Mm -hmm. um, her thoughts... And also, Jasmine is made up of her volition. You know, how... And sometimes we look at a person's volition and we may call it charisma. We may look at it as the... What is that auto... auto? When you look at Jasmine, I know that she's automatically kind. She's automatically pleasant to be with. So that's Jasmine. So that's mm. your volition. Mm. Then... There's also consciousness, Jasmine. You are made up of consciousnesses. So we have six to eight consciousnesses in Buddhism, depending on which school you believe in, but they're very easy to understand. Your eye consciousness. So whatever you see goes into you as your eye consciousness. Ear consciousness. Nose consciousness. Your tongue consciousness. Your Feeling consciousness, your touch consciousness, and your thought consciousness, which is generated inside, not based on any outside stimulus. And we also say in a school of Buddhism called Yogacara that we have also what's called ego consciousness mm. and a storehouse consciousness. So the storehouse consciousness, sometimes we call it the memory. And everything that we have seen, heard, smelled, tasted, touched, thought, everything goes in there as seeds in the consciousness. So if you think of a stream, so it's such a stream of consciousnesses. So that when we process something, we the ego thinks that ah everything is continuous and it quickly draws on what it recognizes and gives you an impression 
that you are continuous. It's just that when you watch your screen, mm. there are all pixels, right? That's mm. all. But when you watch a movie on your computer laptop, you will see, you will think that's like a real person. But that person is just an image. Mm. So the same thing with the ego consciousness. It grabs at everything in our storehouse consciousness so quickly, we think we are real, but it's actually an image in our minds. Mm, wow. So what I'm understanding is that the mind, the mind is a lot more complex than I thought. Mm, it's it, not just one thing. No, and in not. fact, everything that you just listed then is not tangible. That's correct. So everything else that is jasmine, but not of this body, we put it into the mind. And this mind is constant state of flux. Mm-hmm. It's just that you never step into the same river twice. You might have heard that mm-hmm, before. Mm-hmm. The same thing. This person, Jasmine, is different from moment to moment, although it looks like the same Jasmine. But no, physically, your body cells have kind of some cells have atrophied and some cells are new. Then the same thing with our mind, based on what we've heard and seen and thought, it's changing. So I have a few questions coming from that. The first is, given the nature of our mind, why is it important that we should quiet our mind? And why is it important to practice non-attachment? Hmm... I just mentioned the ego consciousness. That ego consciousness gives us this sense that I am independent, I am this image that I see on the screen. But that's not true. What happens when we have this false sense of this image is that we tend to grab at things. We want to reinforce this identity. And therefore, we want more Facebook likes. Mm we want more money in the bank. But where did all that idea come from? No, that idea comes from what we read, what we hear, what we see other people are doing. It didn't come from inside me. There's nothing in there. But as a result of that, our desires are insatiable. Hmm. So we go for more and more and more. But we know that's first, not sustainable, Second, what does it bring to us? Mental health issues. Mm. All that anxiety, peer pressure. Do we really want that? Mm. No, isn't it? Mm. But the minute we quiet our mind and we look at the image, now we see the pixels. Now we see, ah, so they're just made up of little dots. Mm. And these dots come from, hmm, that neighbor down the road. Not from me. This comes from, hmm, someone on some podcast said this. That's nothing to do with me. Mm. And then you start to tear things apart. It's more or less like peeling an onion. Mm. And you realize in the end that it's empty. And we try to be grounded. We try looking for some ground that doesn't exist. So... I heard of this saying that it's almost like falling off um, falling off a plane and you have no parachute. 
But the good news is that there's no ground either. <laughs> so you will never be hurt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the process, like peeling the iron, uh, onion, can be very painful because we are not used to it. But if you look at many other societies, I'll be going to Bhutan soon. And one of the reasons I want to go to Bhutan is that I'm very impressed with people in this country being contented with their poverty. We think they're poor, but they're happy. And why are they happy? Because they say that they will only develop 25% of the country and leave the other 75% as natural forests. Because all they need, um, rather they can be f- well-fed with that 25%. And that's good enough. They don't need any more. And they have banned alcohol and cigarettes, although we know that many economies depend on the taxes mm-hmm. they get from alcohol and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. But they would rather that the country be free of intoxicants. Mm. They put a cap on the number of tourists and not one that many tourist dollars that will destroy the fabric of society. Mm. Here's, I think, a very enlightened country. Mm. I've never heard this side of Bhutan before. So now I'm wondering, and I can hear, I can hear people thinking this as well, Cars are nice. Money is nice. Having a house is nice. Being successful is nice. Why should we even not want that? What part of it causes suffering? Yes, you are right. Even in Buddhism, the pure lands are made of gold. There's just endless riches. And all you need to do is to think and you get your food. You don't even need to cook. Mm. Take Uh, me there, please. (laughs) Very easy. But what's the difference between the pure land and here on earth? Here on earth, we have limited supply. We don't have indefinite supply, unlike in the pure lands. And here, we have people who, are, who base their desire on greed. So that's why in Buddhism, we didn't say that you can't have riches, you can't have fame, you can't have all this. We say you should have the middle way. Mm-hmm. The middle way between extreme austerity mm-hmm. and extreme wealth. Because what we have discovered is that people don't get satisfied. So mm. the problem is not the car, it's not the beautiful clothes that we have, mm-hmm. but it's having wardrobes of clothes that we how many how many pieces of cloth do we need to put on ourselves and the same with cars you've got garages of cars mm. why mm. or why do we keep having to change mm. into a for a new car when the old car still works it's like the iPhones why must we have iPhone 14 when iPhone SE works of course Apple will not like this but why Mm-hmm. Because we are now in a consumerism and materialism culture where more and more and more is driving the economy. Mm-hmm. Growth and endless growth is in a world that's limited supply mm-hmm. is causing us a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. And that's why the climate crisis, that's why the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So all we're asking is, come back a little bit, Mm -hmm. 
let's work on sufficiency. Mm-hmm. If we can have thought of sufficiency, mm-hmm. and having a phone is good enough. One phone can do it, and not replace it until we, until it it dies, it crashes. We reduce waste that way. This reminds me of a conversation we once had working together. I think I was saying something like, gosh, wouldn't it be great to be in Fiji right now? Just be on those white sands and rolling waves and just like in the warm water. And you said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in Fiji or if you're here. It's going to be the same. And I said, what? <laughs> I get to be in Fiji in one in one scenario. Could you explain what you meant by that? Why being in Fiji is no different to being here? You know, so many people from around the world and even around Australia, wants to come to Wollongong for the waves, <laughs> to surf in Wollongong. So we'll never be contented, right? After you've been to Fiji, maybe the next place you want to go, I don't know, Tahiti or... Is it Tahiti? Yeah, mm. some other mm-hmm. places, some other exotic places. Will there be an end? The next thing you tell me, you want to go to Antarctica. So why can't we be contented with what we have right here and now. So as a monastic, I'm a Buddhist nun, I take a vow of poverty. And a vow of poverty basically means that I receive a stipend, but I get a roof over my head, I get my three meals, and I'm contented with what I have because everything comes from the hard work of others and I can be very um, appreciative and grateful for what's everything that comes before me, then I have no need to go anywhere. Mm. See, the, anywhere else. This is interesting. And I want to ask this because as a 25-year-old at the beginning of my life, I have this desire, this burning desire to see the world, to experience all things, to have adventures. And I don't think I'm coming at it from the perspective, oh, I need to. It's more like I would like to. I would like to have these experiences. Yes, yes. So you can follow the flow. If the flow takes you there, go. Mm-hmm. If the flow doesn't take you there, I hope you're not feeling anxious mm-hmm. that you have to go. Mm-hmm. So what we are saying, we're not stopping you from experiencing the world. In fact, that's great to go and experience the world. But what for? Mm-hmm. Is it for the greater good? Mm-hmm. Will the carbon footprint that you incur as a, mm. as a result of that flight bring benefit to the world. Yeah. I mean, I always have as well felt this need to not just travel for the sake of travel, but actually yes. do something there as well. That's right. So, yeah. That's right. Mm. So, and will that experience, when after you return, take you to a different plane? Because you have seen how other cultures live and you have learned the best of that culture mm. that can be integrated into your life moving forward. Mm. Yeah, so it's a give and take. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is to... So it's not just for play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything wrong with play? There's nothing wrong with play. In fact, we need to play and we need to rest. But we have to also consider the consequences when we take that flight. We also want to ask ourselves really what's our what's our mission what's our mission in life and what's going on in our mind 
at any one time? Am I making a decision from a pure intention mm-hmm. of wanting to improve myself mm-hmm. in order to bring greater benefit? Are there other alternatives? That's a that's a good point you brought up. We when we were working together, you always used to set the intention for the day, mm-hmm. and you'd encourage me to do the same. Mm-hmm. So what is the importance of setting intentions? What does that even mean? Right. Because Buddhism is very much about the mind and cultivating the mind. And there is Buddhist ethics. Buddhist ethics, so what's morally right or wrong, really depends on our intention. And that's something very... There's something which I believe where Buddhism is quite different from many other religions. So it's not just the action, but the intention behind the action. So being intentional will help us to focus the day. We tend to have very distracted days. Mm -hmm. So many emails, so many phone calls and things to do. Our to-do list is always very long. So setting the intention helps us to ensure that we we make sure that we get the most important things done first. But it is about values. Mm -hmm. So that we be careful with every email that we send out. Mm. That we be um, doing things because of a better interaction. Yeah, and I remember when we did set intentions, I found that I was far more efficient in making decisions. I was Mm. quicker to make decisions. I knew what to do because I knew what the intention was. And so naturally I would make the decision that best aligns with that intention, which really helped. Which actually brings me to another topic I'd like to discuss. So when you're in a good intention and you're taking action, what, what actually manifests as a result of that? Does that mean you're welcoming the same intention back? Well, it doesn't matter whether the same intention comes back. What's important is that we sow the seeds out there. It will take its time to, to, to bear fruits. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't control what's out there. What's important is that we ensure that we put out wholesome intentions and send out good energy. Mm-hmm. Whether the other parties receive as such and see as such is beyond my control. And mm. I shouldn't get upset. And it does feel good, doesn't it? It feels good and I have to trust the ripple effect. I will have to trust that whatever that goes out that's wholesome, one day will bear its fruit. Whether it comes back to me or not, it's not important. Mm. Talk to us about the ripple effect. The ripple effect is... Something I saw when I was in the hookah park that's nearby, it's an indigenous spiritual healing park. And there's a little creek, the hookah creek. And I noticed that all the water, it looks very calm until you take a close look. And I see that when there are fishes, we'll see these ripples going out in perfect circles. And then it merges with other ripples and I found that that to be very calming and extremely beautiful. But then when I come back into the office, I realize that that's actually what's happening. Mm. My thoughts have to be kind thoughts, wholesome thoughts, because they're going to merge with someone later. Mm-hmm. And if everyone can extend out kind, good thoughts, we can make a very beautiful 
kind pull. So I can't control other people's ripples, but I can control mine. And we all know this story as well as like when we act kind to another person, we make that person's day, that person makes another person's That's day. Right. So we are all connected because yes. my actions have an effect on another person. That's right. And where did that start? It all started in my head. Because if I was just reacting based on physical mm. situations and scenarios without actually first having an intention in my mind, I would just be constantly reacting throughout my day. Well, it depends on your habit. Mm. So if you have a habit of just reacting, then of course that's what's happening. However, we don't have to. And that's why it takes practice to set intentions and overcome any bad habits until the good habits become so habitual, it becomes natural to be kind mm. and not be responsive with anger and with, I guess, with... Um, any other negative reactions. Mm. Okay, this is a good segue into my next question. Um, what are some good habits for us to practice to cultivate a healthy mind? So we're sending out good ripples out into the world. Yes. So what I run here is a communities of practice. And right now, every week on a Sunday, 11 Sydney time, we have what we call a check-in session. And what it is, is 30 minutes, the community comes together, and the community comes from around the world, not just Buddhists. I've got um, friends from the United States, from the Philippines, from China, Malaysia, Singapore, and all around Australia. And what do we do? We come together to pause, to develop the habit of a pause. And then, when our mind is still, we take in a few minutes of a person's, a facilitator's thoughts and insights around a topic of humanistic value. Mm -hmm. Then we go into our breakout rooms to share how we resonate with that topic and what has happened in the past week. Now, this very simple exercise first creates community, but very importantly, is cultivate a habit of pausing, thinking about how what we've heard resonates with what we are, who we are, what has happened to us before we react. Mm. And I, I personally have benefited from these sessions by being much less impulsive and constantly having positive thoughts in me. We have run this into our third year now and every Sunday, without fail, we've been running these 30-minute sessions. Mm. So I welcome your listeners to join us. Yeah, I'll put all of the information in the show notes. Um, and I was also wondering, for those people who, for some reason, can't attend communities of practice, how can they build a community or how can they be a part of a community wherever they are? Yes, so we all have friends. Now, make sure that when we come together as friends to only send out positive thoughts. If your friend needs a hug, give your friend a hug. If your friend needs um, a listening ear, I think we are there for that. Mm -hmm. If we could 
then create a community of positive humanistic values of kindness, of compassion, of patience, and create a community of the gift. The power of the gift comes from us giving to those in need who are suffering without asking for any return. Mm. And if we can do this, that community will naturally build up. And you know that when you are in need one day, you can rely on this community that Mm. has received so much from you. For those people who, for some reason or another, aren't around a community, is there a way that they can practice this pause in their own life, in their own quiet time alone? Definitely. So here at Nantian Institute, we've developed a mindful check-in app. And this app is available on your Apple's store as well as Google Play Store. It's downloadable for free. It's extremely simple. No advertisements, no frills. So all you do is you decide how many minutes you would like to meditate for and set that bar anywhere from a default of one minute to a maximum of 60 minutes and then listen to the guided meditation. Mm-hmm. And that's a checking in for the day. And at the end of the day, we have a checkout as well where we could send good vibes out to people who we know are in need. Mm, I've actually, well, we both use this Check It app every morning when we were working together. And it is really a good place to start because if I was just to set a timer on my phone, my thoughts would just be crazy. I would close my eyes and I wouldn't know where to go. But it's a good place to start because you'll hear Joy's voice. She guides you through relaxing every part of your body from your head to your toes. And then the timer will start. Um, afterwards after we've quieted and relaxed our body and by creating that space and that quietness without fail every time afterwards we would look at each other we would smile and we would just be so calm about the day there is no problems there's nothing we can't fix everything's okay and and responding to things throughout the day from that space is just it's the difference between a peaceful day and a crazy day. You create your own mind palace. Mm. Yeah. For those interested, where can we learn more about Buddhism and these practices and this philosophy more if you're interested? Yeah, so I welcome everyone to consider studying with us at the Nantian Institute. Our classes are available both online and from next year onwards, we hope also on campus. And our classes consist of um, subjects such as introduction to Buddhism, mindfulness, theory. Buddhist ethics as well. I teach Buddhist ethics. Um, we've also got more advanced classes for anybody interested in various specific topics such as Buddhism and modern society such as Buddhist art as visual communication or Buddhism and interreligious understanding. But I think what's important is that it is ecumenical, so you don't have to worry that you're in a particular tradition that wants to persuade you to join that tradition. We are not at all. Our students come from around the world in all kinds of backgrounds. We have 
um, Anglican priests. We have Hindus in our classes, um, Catholics from the Philippines. And what we create, I think, is a contemplative environment for us to share in one another's backgrounds and interests. And students, will we will discover, open up very much in that safe space. So we've got people from all types of um, educational backgrounds, but it's a postgraduate program, so we welcome students who have at least a bachelor's degree. And if you're interested in doing a whole graduate certificate in humanistic Buddhism, we do have competitive scholarships available for your studies. But if not, we also have fee help available. Awesome. And I will provide more details again in the show notes for everything else. If they want to stay connected with you or learn more about you and Nantian Institute, you can. All right. Any final notes? I just want to say that life is interesting. Human life is precious. We are going to encounter many ups and downs, many challenges, as well as areas that we would like to congratulate ourselves on. We shouldn't get too happy with our successes, nor too anxious about our failures. Life is just the way it is. It's made up of a lot of conditions that we have cultivated. What's important, I think, is connections. Holding the mind and the body together is the breath, which we mustn't forget. Our breath is innocuous, is in the background, but without it, we can't survive. So, I hope everyone will spend some time every day thanking our breath, just being with the breath, sending our breath out to nature that's so beautiful, and taking what nature gives us into our body. And I think in that way we'll create a very humble but positive set of ripples through the cosmos. What a beautiful note to end this episode on. I don't think I can top that. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop talking now. <laughs> Thank you so 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 much, Venerable Joe Wei, for being my first guest. You are such a breath of fresh air and a positive light and such a positive influence in my life. So Thank you so much, and maybe one day we'll have a conversation soon on here and we'll talk about some new things. Thank you so much, Jasmine. All the best for your podcast, and to all listeners, all the very best. <laughs>